to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. today without someone being offended. You know what? Jesus was offending people all the time. All the time. You know who he was really offending a lot of the time was not necessarily the church, but the religious folks, which we would identify as, you know, those who were going to, you know, a service every week. And trying to live according to the way that they believe God called them to live. And they had some teachers there that were teaching after their own means and their own ways. Jesus called them out. He says, you know, you you preach and you go to the ends of the earth to evangelize. And, And you're making these people, these disciples of you, yourselves, sons of hell, twice as much as you are. That's offensive. <laughs> he didn't pull any punches. Today we're going to look at some words that Paul says. It's going to be a very familiar verse, probably a verse that some of you have gotten on a Hallmark card. It's probably a verse that maybe some of you have Adopted to be your life verse. And hopefully we'll be able to learn something out of this today that speaks to even what we've just been talking about. That the mind has been deceived. Somewhere along the line, that person who went into the Walmart took his gun in there and started blowing away people and kids today or last night the, the, they're in Dayton, Ohio somewhere along the road they were in their room they were in their home they were in their vehicle going yeah, this is a good idea you think it was a good idea? no of course not, we don't think it's a good idea they thought it was a good idea They thought that was the right thing to do. They thought that this was the thing to do. We're going to get into some of that today. Kevin, I'm going to back up. I'm going to read all the way from verse 1. I'll just read the whole chapter. I'm I'm only going to be focusing on just a couple of verses today. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved, and longed for, brethren, my joy and crown. You think Paul loves these people? I think he does. I think he, he's passionate about these these folks. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. They Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago where they had a little bit of a, a, a problem. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. We talked about that a few weeks ago. 
Let your gentleness, gentleness be, be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. What are we talking about? Minds and hearts. It will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Last week's message from Pastor Kevin, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And I agree with Pastor Kevin as he heard the one or he read the one commentator that said, well, these are self-explanatory. Stop it. Dig into these words. What do these words mean? He did a great job last week of talking about that. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's saying, I'm not asking you to do something that I am not doing myself. I mean, we know 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 11 or 16, and then verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, Here's the thing, and Kevin talked a little bit about this last week. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what Paul says. You want to know how to be a Christian today? Do what I do. That's what Paul said. Was Paul perfect? No. Was Paul sinless? No. Well, why would we ever want to follow Paul if he's not perfect and he's not sinless? It's for this reason. Paul knew, I know I, I am a, I know that I'm a sinner. In fact, he called himself the chief of sinners, didn't he? I know that in me, he said, Romans chapter seven, didn't he? I know that in me, that is in my flesh, that nothing good dwells. He understood who he was. But the heart that Paul had was that, but I have a relationship with Christ and I'm not gonna be satisfied in flesh, in fleshly things. I am going to strive every single moment of every single day to live for Christ, to honor him, to lift him up, to praise him, to let my breath be his breath, to let my actions be his actions. And I will fail. And my flesh will cry, will, will, will call out and my flesh will take over sometimes. And it frustrates me to no end, Paul says, because I know the things that I should do and I don't do them and the things that I should not do, those are the very things that I, that I practice and I get so frustrated with myself that I cry out and I say, who will deliver me from this body of death? And yet this is the same Paul that says, I want you to follow Christ. And if you need someone to follow, watch my life. Because he's saying, listen, I, I'm trying to live for Christ with everything that's in me. My heart, my being, my passion, my heart beats after Christ. My desire is to please him. My motivation is to serve him. My motivation is to honor him. It's to be his child. And in 
that being my goal, my actions will follow. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. There's a statement that you're going to hear a lot today. Action is directly proportionate to motivation. I don't know if somebody came up with that. Someone I'm sure has. But that hit me. As I was studying for this, this is what kept ringing into my ears. Action, actions are directly proportionate to motivation. And then I personalized it. My actions are directly proportionate to my motivations. I don't want to be, you know, Zig Ziglar here. <laughs> okay? I'm not here to be, you know, hey, here's a quick phrase, let's go and run with it. No, but I, I, I see that there's a lot of truth in this. There, it's not a lot of truth. There's, there's truth in this. Paul says, these things which you learned and you received and you heard and you saw in me. My motivation was to serve Christ. And so my actions, they followed my motivation. And if you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. And then he goes on and he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at last... Your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. He's talking about now about how they wanted to give to Paul. They saw that he had been in prison. They saw that, or they saw that, you know, the work that Paul was doing, they loved him. Paul, as we open this chapter, Paul says, man, you guys are my joy and my crown. I love you guys. You guys, you guys are my people, man. I love you guys. You guys have such a heart. You guys, well, we're going to see, you sent Epaphrodites out here to minister to me with financial and material gifts. And he couldn't catch me. He couldn't find me. Took him a long time to get to me. Well, until I got to prison, then he found me. That's when the Lord slowed me down and put me in one spot. That's where he is right here. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. You couldn't find me. You wanted to do it, but you couldn't find me. Now I speak, I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You guys did. For even in Thessalonica, you sent and want, you sent aid uh, once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. I don't. I don't. I'm not asking for your money. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. What he's saying is that I'm not asking you for your money. I don't want things from you. But as you have given to me, I want you. I, everything that I have done, 
I want the Lord to lay it to your account. You ever think of it that way? That when you give, whether it be to this ministry, whether you give to someone, you do, and you do it with a pure heart as unto the Lord, here's the thing. Whatever happens with that is what goes to your account. I mean, it's, 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 it, it's like an extended arm of, of yours where you go and you reach and you minister whether it be missionaries that we support here, or whether it be you know, you know, uh, uh, missions outreach, or whether it be you know benevolence, you have reached out and touched people all over the place, and you may not even realize how many people, but it's to your account. That's what Paul's saying. I don't seek the gift. I'm not hammering you for money. Here's what it is. I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I am so stoked that one day you're going to be blown away in heaven when God shows you all that you have done for him. And you don't even know it. That's what blesses Paul. Indeed, I have, I have all and I abound. I'm full. Having received from Epaphrodites the things which were, were sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, and well-pleasing to God. And my God shall, and, and so there it is, it, Epaphrodites is one who brought their gift to Paul, finally found him. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We're not getting into that passage today. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are the Caesar's household. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Paul, he comes in and he says, here's the thing. I'm going to be looking mostly at one verse, but I'm going to back it up with a little bit of foundation from the verses that kind of surround it because Paul's talking about need and uh, uh, sustenance and how he lived his life and, and how he could, he could operate in life. So that I rejoice in the Lord, verse 10, greatly that now at last your care has for me has flourished again that you, uh, though you surely did care, you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need. He's saying, I, I, it's not that I, I need, right? Because I've learned that in whatever state I am to be content. One of you this last week, and I don't know who it was, and I, I, I did a very quick search this last week. One of you or somebody on my Facebook site sent me a little, sent, they had a little phrase on there and it said, Contentment ends where comparison begins. Yeah, think about that for just a second. That's not just a quick little phrase that you just want to gloss over. You want to think about that one for a second. Contentment ends where comparison begins. What does that mean? Keeping up with the Joneses. Grass is always greener. Contentment in all things. Here's the thing. Contentment will end in our life when we measure our life against everybody else's. It's one of, you know, I was talking to uh, uh, one of the shuttle drivers yesterday, actually, and we were talking about uh, uh, Boy Scouts. <laughs> there were 45,000 Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts in Charlotte Airport yesterday and and on Friday. Jamboree, yeah. 9,000 adult chaperones. 
45,000 Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. That was a lot. Everywhere you looked, it looked like Curious George's, you know, little guy, you know, with their little hats. And you look at some of these hats and you go, really? You still wear those things? And they do. I mean, they were, I, I talked to a bunch of guys, you know, a bunch of kids from the Netherlands. It was hard to understand them, but I, I, I talked to them. I tried to talk to some people from Costa Rica and I just, sorry, I couldn't, my Spanish wasn't good. They were from Italy. They were from Brazil. They were from everywhere. Even Texas. They were from everywhere. And, and we were talking, I was talking to the shuttle driver and I said, now was the hotel I had to stay in a hotel last night. I was trying to get home last night, but every everything was booked. I could not, everything was so oversold that there was just no way of getting me home. I could have done it if I would have been released a little earlier, but my company said, no, you can't be released at four o'clock. You can't be released at five o'clock. You gotta be released at seven because you're the only person on. And I went, oh, great. So I had to stick it out in Charlotte last night and take one for the team. But here's the thing. I asked the, I was afraid because I see all these kids everywhere. And I'm thinking every cheap hotel is going to be filled because kids don't have money, you know. Some kids don't. And and so here's the thing. They're going to be in all these cheap hotels and that's what I stay in because I don't like to stay in really expensive hotels when I have to pay for it. And so here's the thing. I I spend, spend you know, my my time in the Econo Lodge up there. And I asked the shuttle driver, I said, hey, how has it been? He goes, it has been crazy. I said, it has. I said, it's crazy in the airport right now. He goes, it is? I said, yes. He said, yes, we had virtually 75% of our whole Econo Lodge was filled with kids. And I said, that had to have been crazy. I said, were there pranks going on all night long? He goes, all night long. Yes, every floor. We were constantly getting called from people going, would you shut these kids up? Hey, people keep knocking on our door. <laughs> he, he, he says, but you know, there was one thing that shocked me. And I said, what was that? He goes, most of the kids didn't have a cell phone. They didn't have a cell phone. And I said, why did that shock you? And he goes, that's, that's what you see in a kid all the time. They're just always like this. They're always like this. And they don't, they don't ever, they don't, I'm afraid that they don't get to experience, they don't get to experience life the way that we knew it as we grew up. He said, but I have hope because these 45,000 kids, they came here and they go to the outdoors and they go and they do these things in there and, and they interact with one another and, and they don't have to do it via a phone. And I said, wow, that's pretty interesting insight there, Mr. Sutter Driver. I said, you know, the advance, he says, I just don't know about the advancement of the technological age. I said, you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse, isn't it? There's a lot of good that can come out of it, but there's a lot of bad that can come out of it. A lot of bad that can come out of it. One of the bad things that can come out of it is we look on there and we see that we're constantly seeing other people having and doing and being something that we can't do, have, or be. It makes us discontent. Why? Because we compare our life with theirs. 
when we compare our life, that's where our contentment ends. Contentment ends where comparison begins. I begin to look at their life and go, oh, look at all the things that they have. Oh, look at the things that I don't have. And now my discontentment starts to grow like a ravaging wolf, like crazy. It goes nuts. And I get upset. And I become discontent. And my life is in shambles. And Paul says, listen, I I don't need things. I don't need anything. If I'm absolutely destitute of food or or money or or a house or, or material items, it doesn't matter. Because if I'm abased, I have learned how to be content. I've also been full. I, I have had those things. And I was content in those things too. It's not that, it's not, one doesn't mean that you're going to be content and the other means that you're going to be discontent. It, it, you can be content in all phases of life. And that's what kind of put me on this, this mindset that we see Paul, how can you be content? And I will say, because his motivation was in one place, which caused his actions to follow what his motivation was. He said there in, in what was it, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4? Or was it 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4? When I came to you, I, I, I didn't want to anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's my heart. My motivation was Jesus Christ and him crucified. My heart is that. And and so as as we look at this and I see that Paul says, I'm content. I'm not comparing myself to Apollos. In fact, he went so far as to say, listen, if you think that you're following Apollos and you you say, hey man, I follow Apollos. Apollos is my guy. And others go, ow, ow. Apostle Paul is my guy. You know? We want, you know, we're for Apollos. We're for Paul. He says, aren't you all just absolutely fleshly and and carnal? And and carnal? That's just carnal. That's flesh. It's nothing about Apollos. I like Apollos. I love him. But it's not about him. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not about a person. Paul isn't going to compare himself to Apollos. Apollos is getting more people than I'm getting. No, no, Paul says, praise the Lord. There's people getting saved. If Apollos has more people getting saved through him, praise the Lord. One of the worst things that we can do as a church is compare ourselves against another church. I I know that there are churches out there that have a lot of really neat things. We don't have them. Don't have the money for them. Even if we had the money for them, don't know that we'd even get them. I, I really, as long as I'm pastor, I don't think we're going to ever have smoke on our stage. Just don't think we're going to. I don't think that we need to manipulate emotion. I don't want to manipulate emotion. I, I don't want that. If we manipulate emotion, we're creating something that is not real. If I have to manipulate you 
to worship the Lord, is that not deceptive? Anytime I have to manipulate somebody to do something to serve the Lord, then it's no longer the Lord, it's me. I don't, I don't want that. And, and so the heart would be, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? And, and I, I think it comes down to this. I, I think that as long as I'm going to be here, and I think as long as Kevin is going to be here, there's one thing that we're going to hold up high, and it's this word of God. And we're going to say, this is what we're going to lean on, and this is what we're going to hold on to. This is what we're going to teach, and this is what we're going to preach, and this is what we are going to try to live by. And this is what we're going to, we're going to preach to you guys. And we're going to encourage you. We're going to challenge you. We're going to exhort you. We're going to sometimes, you know, uh, discipline you, you know, and, and say some pretty hard things. But again, hopefully along the way, you'll learn and you have learned, I think all of us have, that we are not here to just blindly hurt people. We're here because we love you. We're saying to you what we will say to ourselves. It's, it's the word of God. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. If the word's not strong enough, then the word's not strong enough. I can't make, I can't make the church do anything. I can preach the word. I can make the church do a lot of things. I get things, I can right now open up my email and show you how people send me things all the time. Grow your church, make it this way and make it more dynamic. Make it this and make it that and make it this and make it that. And I'm like, well, okay, wait, stop. Is the word strong enough to sustain us? I hope so. I really do. But the word, Greg Laurie said it very well many years ago, and he still says it to this day. He's an evangelist out in California, Harvest Christian Fellowship. I grew up in his church a little bit. I was a part of his church for a while. But he he used to say this, the best inoculation, you know what an inoculation is? What's an inoculation? An inoculation is, say you have uh, smallpox, right? They have an inocu- they have, they have a, a, a serum, and it's an inoculation that they, that they would give to kids. I don't know, do they still give the smallpox vaccination to kids? I don't know if they do. Well, we used to have an epidemic here in the U.S., and what happens? They started injecting the kids, injecting people with the smallpox, just a hint of the disease and the antibodies in your body would go and attack it and they would build up such a resistance to that that it wiped out smallpox in our country. And so the kids were being vaccinated. They were being inoculated against smallpox so that smallpox couldn't overtake them and wipe them out. And it saved our population. And, and so here's the thing. That's a vaccination. It's an inoculation against smallpox. But what Greg Laurie would use is he would say, he would say, the best or the, the best inoculation against the gospel is the gospel. 
heard, but not heeded. I'm going to say it again. The best inoculation or the best vaccination against the gospel. What I mean by that and what he meant by that is the best way to not let this thing change your life is to read it and read it and read it and never heed it. Oh, you might know it. But if you don't heed it, it's not going to do anything for you. And you're just going to grow big and fat and you're going to just be a pew potato. The heart behind this is, is listen, we've got to not allow ourselves to just be the same person as we walk out of this door, as we were when we walked in this door. That's got, that's, that's got to be our passion for the rest of our lives. Guys, we've got a world that is going to hell in a handbasket right before our eyes. We are the watchers on the wall. We are the Christians. We are the believers. I want us to live that way. The idea here is that Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can he say such a thing? He says, I've been poor, I've been, I've been wealthy, and I've been content in both. What he's saying is that there's nothing on the outside, there's nothing in this world that it matches my relationship with God. There's nothing. There's nothing that I can have on this earth, it, not a boat, not a car, not an airplane, <laughs> not a relationship, not a friendship, not a job, not a house, not a, a location where I live, not a bank account. Not, there's nothing on this world that compares heaven there's nothing I, I i'm content in wherever it is that i'm at it doesn't matter my my time on earth is short our time on earth is short i'm realizing that every year that i get a little older that my time's it's it's coming up man and, and but here's the thing i'm gonna i'm gonna live i'm gonna live while i have my breath. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to live for Christ. I want to live for the Lord. Do I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Does Kevin do it perfectly? Really not. I'm just joking. (laughs) We don't do it perfect, but I would say we want you guys to love people. We want you to love Jesus. We want you to have your heart focused on him and 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 when you wake up in the day that you ask lord can can my life be different when i go to sleep tonight than it is right now as i wake up can my life be more in line with who you are that was the heart behind paul actions are my actions are directly proportionate to my motivation Everything that we do, here's just some of the thoughts that I put down, I jotted down. Everything that we do is motivated, motivated by something. Let me just ask you real quick. Quick little exercise. When you woke up today, what'd you do? Okay, you got dressed. Who'd you dress for? What's the motivation behind your dress? See where we're going with this? What's the motivation behind your dress? Was it 
to look good. I really thought about this outfit that I put on today. Do I look good? Actually, this is the only two things that I had in my suitcase that that wasn't uniform related. Who did you dress for? This is the mindset. Here's the thing. Who is it that you're dressing for? If you're dressing for a guy, you're dressing for a gal, you're dressing for... Who are you dressing for? You're dressing that people might look at you and go, oh, look at that. They always dress so nice. Is it to get the praise of man? Now, I know that, listen, I, 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 you know, you put on makeup. Why did you put on makeup? Gals. I, you know, Pastor Chuck, he's the one who did this. He's dead. You can blame him in heaven one day. But he said, listen, I don't really talk too much about that because, listen, if the barn needs painting, <laughs> that was Pastor Chuck. That was his thing. That's not mine. Listen, <laughs> I've never understood why, why gals wear makeup and guys didn't. I'm glad we don't. Mind you, I don't stay in a hotel room and, you know, I don't do that. (laughs) I don't know how all that happened, but it did. But we do things because we're motivated by something. We're motivated by something. It could be at work. What are we motivated at work? We are motivated at work to do certain things. At home, we're motivated at home to do certain things. Guys, if you're married, why do you put the seat down? You're afraid, right? Your motivation is fear. Put that seat down. At work, you're motivated to do certain things with your family, with your friends. You're always motivated to do something. Something is really cool about kids. There's not really a whole lot of motivation there. They don't have a motivation per se. They do for, you know, they want to, you know, get candy or something like that, or they want to get a treat or something like that. Uh, <laughs> listen, I'm going to say, I'm going to share something here, and this is not to embarrass a kid because I I thought it was the funniest thinking thing that happened to me just this last week. I thought it was awesome. It was hilarious. My wife heard it in the other room and laughed out loud. I was sitting over here in the desk. And little Camden was here. Remember? Little Camden was here. And Camden, he was talking to me and, 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 and Ray Lynn was talking to me. And all of a sudden, Camden just out of the blue says, Pat O'Don, why your belly so big? <laughs> I said, what? He goes, why your belly so big? And I went, because Pastor Don eats a lot. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you thought that this morning, that, hey, Pastor Don's belly's pretty big? You know why your hands didn't raise? Because you're afraid you're going to hurt my feelings. You're motivated by what I might respond back to you. Don't all raise your hands, okay? I know I'm there. Hey, I've lost some weight since that. My wife is reminds me. Remember Camden? I mean, this is going to be for the rest of my life. Camden statement. That's going to be my diet goal right there. Camden. One day I'm going to be cut and I'm going to go, what do you think now, huh? (laughs) 
I love that about kids, pure honesty. There was no motivation. He didn't intend to hurt my feelings. Do I think that Camden thought he was going to hurt my feelings? Absolutely not. Action is directly proportionate to motivation. My action is directly proportionate to my motivation. If, if that's true, can lack of action be because of a lack of motivation? And, and I, I, I chewed on that one for a little bit. And, and I would say yes, though not always. Though not always. A lack of motivation could be, you know, hey, uh, we're struggling at home maybe. Maybe you, you, you're struggling in your job. You're having a hard time financially in your job and you're going, well, I, I, I'm just going to keep my job. I'm just going to keep it. I'm just going to keep going status quo. When in all actuality, maybe somebody else has, has encouraged you, hey, why don't you look for a different job or why don't you, while you're in your job, why don't you do something to train to, to get a better job? I already work so much. I just, I don't, I don't want to do it. Okay, I mean, that's, that's t- totally your prerogative. You could do that, but it comes down to motivation. I know it's sometimes tough, but sometimes we've got to do the tough things. Uh, my action isn't going to go back to school because I don't want to, I don't have the motivation to do that. Here's the thing. If you knew that if you could go back to school and you were going to get $100,000 at the end of that year, they were going to write you a check for $100,000. Would your motivation change? You see, motivation changes based upon the reward, right? But not always. Because a lot of things can happen in your life. If you have the proper motivation, if, you, if you're willing, to, if you're willing to, to, do the, to do the time, if you will. I remember Clay Hecox. He was uh, 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 the worship leader over at Calvary Fort Lauderdale for many, many, many years. And he is this phenomenal pianist, I guess is what you call him. And somebody came up to him one time and said, Clay, I absolutely love how you play. I would give anything to be able to play like you. And Clay, if you knew Clay, you just know that he is a very blunt guy. He just says things like they are. And he's, he's not afraid to do it. He goes, no, you wouldn't. And the person said, no, no, I would. And he goes, no, you wouldn't. The person said, well, well yeah, I would. I mean, why do you say that? And he goes, because if you would give every, anything to play like I would, you'd be playing like me. How much truth is in that? It's just truth all over that. It stinks, but there's truth all over it. What's your motivation? Can there be wrong motivation? Yes. Ill will towards someone. It's say and do things that that uh, to be accepted by the wrong people or the wrong crowd. You live your life to be your motivation is to live for what other people think about you. I don't think that there's anything more sad in this world. Because as I am growing older and I'm getting and and I'm I'm now a, a whopping thirty eight years old. I look back at my high school and I think, man, how did I, I lived in order to be approved by, by my peers. 
And you know, I have Facebook relationships with some of these guys and gals, but not one of them care who I am. And I don't really care what they think about my life today. And so today, who you're living for in this world, they may not be in your life in another year, another six months. And yet we stress so much to live for someone else and to seek their approval. And we, we are discontent. Why? Because we're, we're, we're comparing ourselves. This person expects this to be of me and so I'm going to be this way and I'm going to do this because I want the approval of this person or of that group or of this club or of this job or this boss or whatever it is. I'm going to do... Motivation is in the wrong place. Fights and arguments with spouses and family members and friends. Sometimes we say and do things because the motivation is I'm going to get at you. I'm going to take you down, man. I want you to hurt as bad as I hurt. I hurt, you're going to hurt. Wrong motivation. Wrong motivation. Paul says, and I've got to wrap this up. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says, you want to know how I can do all things? It's through Christ who strengthens me. My motivation is to seek Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified. My motivation is to honor him with my life. My life is built for nothing less than for Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's who I'm supposed to be living for. And if my life, and it's easy, It's easy to say, and it's easy to lay out there as the motivation and as the goal. It's a lot harder to live, I agree. But if we lay out there every single morning, when you wake up, when I wake up, when we wake up, Lord, today's yours. I know I'm going to blow it, but Lord, get me back on the path. Wayne Watson used to have a song, and I know that I even say that name, and some of you guys think, my goodness, was he, you know, around with Moses or something like that? I don't know, but... He had a song and it just kind of popped into my head. But sometimes even to this day, when I I find myself astray, I never wander off too far. Something along that line. That was one of his uh, lines in his song. Sorry, I swallowed something. Um, Hopefully it wasn't a fly. But here's the thing. He says, even to this day, when, when I find myself walking off the path, because I'm trying to, to live for Jesus. I find that when I'm off the path, I'm reminded this isn't the road that the Lord has me on. And I can get back on the path very quickly. Even to this day, sometimes when I go astray, I never wander off too far. We're going to wander off the path. We're all going to wander off the path. But do you have a path? What is your path? What is my path? What is the path? What is your motivation for living? Paul says it's Christ. And if Christ is my motivation, Paul says, I can live in anything. I can be poor. Doesn't matter. Christ is my motivation. He says, okay, Don, you're going to be poor. Paul, you're going to be poor. Okay. Paul, you're going to be, you're going to be rich. Okay. Paul, you're going to be free. 
to go and, and, and minister. You're going to be free to go and travel the world. Okay. Paul, you're going to be in prison. Okay. Paul, you're going to be shipwrecked in the deep. Okay. Paul, you're going to be bitten by a venomous snake. I hate snakes, but okay. Paul, you're going to be whipped. You're going to be beaten three times within inches of your life. Lord, give me the strength, but okay. Paul says, it's okay. Because my motivation is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so that's the challenge that I leave with you today, church. What is your motivation? If it's anything other than Jesus Christ and him crucified, you are going to fail in this Christian life. You're never going to be content. You're never going to be satisfied. You are going to be right in the same seat in 20 years as you are right now and nothing will change in your life. I say this to you. I say this to me. I say this to us. What is your motivation? What is my motivation? What is our motivation? If it's not Christ, we got the wrong motivation. And when my flesh starts to get the most of me, I got to stop. I got to recognize I'm getting off the path. It's not about me. It's about Christ. Again, I talked about that a couple times ago. I've been bought with a price. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want. It's not about who I want to impress. It's not who, I, who it's not about who I think I need to be approved by. It's about Christ. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I've been bought with a price. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I am a slave of Christ. And I'm going to live for him. Because as I am a slave and bound to Christ, I am yoked together with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, yoke yourself, attach yourself to me, and I'll show you the way. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. But you got to do it. What's your motivation? Lord, I want to be yoked to you. Yoke me together with you today. I don't want us to be the same next Sunday as we are right now. Let's change. We've got to affect this world around us, man. 29 people are are lost today, are dead today because somebody didn't reach those two people that they woke up yesterday morning and said, I am going to go kill people because I think that's a good idea. They were deceived. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. This country needs Jesus. This world needs Jesus. Let's go give him Jesus. Rick just sang that song and the the worship team just, just sang that song. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Do we mean it? Or are these just words? Man, let's be Christians. Real Christians. Not these Christians of modern day where everything has to be about us and our feel good and our, we've got to get warm fuzzies and we've got, what does it do for me? No, it's not about you. It's not about me. 
How at the end of the day does Christ feel about the way that I live my life today? That's our motivation. Is your motivation that? If it's not, take it to the Lord and ask if what I've just shared here today is wrong. And if so, cast it off. Walk away from this church. But if it's right, let's radically change our mindset and live for Christ. Amen? Does that make sense? You today can be content if Christ is your motivation. Did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.